Hey everybody, John Greenwald here with the Black Vault Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in and making this your podcast of choice. This interview is a little bit different. This happened during what I call a behind-the-scenes episode, one that if you have no idea what I'm talking about, on the Black Vault Originals YouTube channel, what I do are these behind-the-scenes shows. These are ones where you can log in and see kind of the behind-the-scenes of makings of segments or interviews or all sorts of things. Well, my guest today, Alejandro Rojas, joined me in one of those behind the scenes. And instead of resetting the interview when he popped on, we just immediately got into a great conversation. So I just let it roll. I didn't reset. I didn't try and make it a more structured introduction like I usually do, because Alejandro's not only been on the show before, but he's someone that I always have a lot of fun talking with. And we always have a great time. So I didn't want to break that momentum. So without further ado, stay tuned for the Black Vault Radio with Alejandro Rojas coming up. Alejandro Rojas, everybody's been thinking that I was keeping this big secret on who my guest was, and I just wanted to, out of respect, if you said, John, sorry, man, I can't do it. I didn't want anybody to go after you going, hey, man, you didn't show up. What's going on? No, you're not supposed to be saying any of this. You're supposed to pretend like this is a big reveal. This is like, oh, my God, it's Alejandro. And uh, wait, I got to get a countdown going for the the big reveal of who the mystery guest is. Uh, Uh But I was alluding to it i don't know in the chat because the chat's been pretty busy uh and uh we've got cool. about 260 people watching through a couple of social oh, yeah, there they are. yeah so there's all sorts of kind of fun stuff but i don't know if they caught on but the one thing that i'll say before we get going to the more structured interview is that i've always enjoyed speaking with you because we don't always agree but we actually can talk now we've had riffs in the past but those are in the past we don't have to talk about that yeah but uh, but uh, that's why I love talking to you is because you learn from it. You know, you, you have a you, exactly same. You have the dialogue. I mean, you know, once we talk, and I got to better understand your point of view, I learned a lot, and I literally went and read back pretty much all of our conversations, and it's just it's rough, and I really felt at the time that's what was going on there was just some kind of like almost like we were having two different conversations and in a way we were um you know I would, there were just things that we weren't points of view that we weren't understanding and that's the hard part with uh, text i think and then the other hard part is that we both had our armies you know we both have our followers who feel like they need to come in and defend us so your guys are trashing me my guys are trashing you and then, uh, you know, and I was representing kind of the whole Team Elizondo people were behind me and you had the, the you know, the other side. And, and so that just heightens it when they're in there like, ah, you know, getting so volatile. And uh, I think I learned from that whole thing, too, is to not let the emotions of those crowds. I already felt like I was kind of impervious to it, but obviously I wasn't. Um, I feel like that really influenced both of us. That's the other hard part. And I think that UFO Twitter has gotten so um, toxic that 
the majority of the people talking are trolls and everybody else either is quietly watching or not in there at all anymore. They leave. I mean, we, you see people almost daily, like this is just too much. You guys are like, you just at each other's throats. I'm out of here. Um, yeah. And that's, what's also very, I would say frustrating. And instead of doing structured, I'm just going to cut the interview like this. So hopefully you don't mind. We'll just continue talking. You cool with that? All right. Um, what's frustrating is seeing that fall off of people that, that, and, and I I don't want to name names and we don't have to, Mm -hmm. but that, that had such a great view came onto the scene, you know, kind of new, which was great. Mm -hmm. We need that. And then fast forward a year, in some cases, or two years, and they're like, I'm out. This is done. I'm I'm out of this. I hate it. And it's so frustrating to see them just kind of kind of what we'll call rage quit, you know, for any gamers out there. Um, but rightfully so. Like, I, I think that they just get attacked because their views aren't the same or they feel used or they feel like they're being lied to and then yeah. they just go away and I can't, I, I don't like the whole psyop, you know me, I don't like yeah. that whole psyop, their disinformation to, to sow this doubt and, and create these issues. I'm not, I'm not on that bandwagon, mm-hmm. but in the same respect, you can't help but think like, okay, is there some kind of part of this to disrupt that conversation? Cause we're losing good people. Like I, I'm in it for the long yeah. haul. You know, it'll yeah. be on etched in my tombstone that I'm uh, like, yeah. did the black vault till the day he died, you know, like I'm not going anywhere, <laughs> but yeah. I think we're losing good people. Do you feel that is that, I don't want to say part of a no, master plan, but. No, I agree plan, with you, but I, I don't know about part of a master plan and, and I, I, I get your point that. and no, I, I know exactly what you're saying is, is, um, it seems, well, here's a couple things. It's first of all, you and I. Uh, have been around for a long time doing this. And we've seen a lot of people come and go for various reasons, often because of kind of the fighting, even before the internet was that big of a deal, you know, because they're arguing with their colleagues at conferences or via email or remember what was the big UFO digest or the big UFO email chain that used to go around um, before social media that we were all on where people would fight. Uh, I think about that was UFO, uh, UFO digest, wasn't it? Yeah. So, and, and even there, I mean, I remember a guy who left because he got, uh, John Alexander's wife got mad at him and said she was going to curse him and he got sick. Um, I can't remember his name. I don't remember if he remember this one and he left ufology because he was afraid of her. Really? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, what he I don't, that doesn't mad. ring a bell. Yeah. So funny. So, I mean, uh, there's been a lot of reasons and, and, Fighting, and this has gone on through the years. And, you know, uh, for me also, I think we're, we're built a little differently in that, um, you know, a lot of celebrities and everything also leave social media because of mental health issues. And um, at first I used to not really understand it because I'm like, you know, every time I post an article, I get tons of hate. That's, that's natural when you're online. And I think that just, you know, us tackling controversial topics where we're expecting pushback and so we've grown this really thick skin where i almost a little bit and i know you're the same get a little bit excited about it it's like fine bring it on um because you know for a couple reasons one is you know it's like try to beat up my work that's fine um one there's a little bit of ego because it's like you're not going to be able to do it 
lots of you. But the other side is, I hope some of you can do it because I want my work to be better too. And I want to learn and see what I missed, you know? Um, are there perspectives that, like like you said, that I'm not getting that I need to relate to? Um, so I think we're just not as effective. So yeah, getting into the more recent <clears throat> people, um, and you know, we had a mutual friend, of course, who left recently, and um, <clears throat> I don't understand it. I I I I think that you got to be tough and you got to be focused and you got to move forward no matter what. And this is also to address that last part. <clears throat> Sorry, of anybody coming in and purposely manipulating um, in order to get rid of people like that. If you're if you're steadfast on what you're doing and focused on the work, that's not going to have an effect on you. Have some of these people who come after me been trying to get under my skin to get me to quit? Maybe, probably, um, when it comes to, you know, any kind of PSYOP, I don't know. But whether it's a PSYOP or not, again, bring it on because, you know, I've prepared myself and I've been through the ringer and you're going to have a really hard time pulling that kind of stuff on me. It's just not going to affect me. So with our mutual friend who, you know, you kind of outlined a little bit of what happened to him. Um, I just would not, I kind of had the attitude of like, I don't get why that's such a big deal. Cause it would not affect me at all. And that kind of thing has happened to me. And I just don't have that same kind of like fear um, some people have said, what about death threats or blah, blah, blah. That's the internet. You know, whenever you've got more than once you start getting followers and especially once you put yourself out there, like we do putting stuff out in the media and everything, you're just going to get attacked more and more. So the more popular the get you get, you're also the more you're going to get attacked and that. And that's just kind of how it works. So just got to prepare yourself for it. And it's one of the ugly um, realities of being in a public figure today. You've obviously covered this for a long time. You've worked as a journalist a long time. You you've written tons of articles. You've run um, quite a, quite a few different projects through the years. Where do you think we are now? Like, what is your mm. perspective? So away from that, that social media drama, yeah. uh, going above that, where are we? Do you feel that we are just on the cusp of something or do you feel that uh, conversation may have, may have changed a little bit, but we're on the same path? I don't know. I think that the, my perspective is that we, in a way, are on the cusp. But, uh, you know, I think UFO, it's kind of a turtle and hare type of thing. Where UFO Twitter feels like we're on the cusp, but there's a rabbit. They feel like, oh, you know, tomorrow we're going to find out everything. I'm like the, the uh, turtle where it's like, we're on the cusp, but that means maybe in the next decade we'll have some, or in the next five years we'll have some big revelations uh, that it's going to take much longer. But that's better than before. You know, like five years ago, I would have said it's going to take much longer for that sort of revelation. So it's just a slow move. I think the difference is, and I think this is what a lot of people don't get, a lot of people don't understand the difference, and I think your audience is a lot different because you you train them because you you all are looking for evidence. <laughs> I documents. call it mind control. Okay, uh -huh. like I've told them exactly, how to <laughs> and you're very good at controlling your your oh people. Talk about mind. a conspiracy. I'm in on it. <laughs> your your cult. You've got you've developed a great cult <laughs> where you're leading. No, I'm kidding. 
But um, but the point being that, you know, they're looking for evidence. You're looking for documents and you're a stickler to that. And that's one of the things that you and I argue about. Um, I am more on the science end, but uh, either way, I think we'll both agree. What we've had a lot prior to uh, the last five years is a lot of speculation going on. A lot of the research was speculation. And then you have groups like the SCU, Scientific Coalition for UAP Studies, which I'm a board member of. That's why I love to plug them. Um, but uh, doing some science and coming out with some papers, like at first with Steve, uh, first was Aguadilla, then doing the Nimitz thing. Um, but those take a long time, a couple years each. So that kind of work, which is real, I think, research and putting some uh, moving the needle just takes a very long time. The good thing that we have now is more resources, more people. Um, there are a lot more scientists getting involved, NASA getting involved, money coming towards all of these efforts. The good thing about, I don't have a lot of hopes for us necessarily hearing a lot from the Pentagon. Um, I mean, they've told you, uh, and I, I quote this thing, what Susan Goff told you many times when she told you like a couple of years ago regarding the UAP task force at that time, that they have no intention of sharing anything that they find or cases that they're looking into, um, that all that work is classified. And they, they have a, they're in a tough spot. So I think the information is going to come from citizen science, from, uh, you know, more transparent science that's going to get done. That may be disappointing to a lot of people because that takes a lot of time, but that's what it's going to take. Uh, of course, you and I have talked at length about the Wilson document, but best case scenario, you know, uh, let's say that the Wilson document's real, all of that happened. You've got, you know, the word of one admiral and you still have to crack open that egg. You still have to go in there. Somebody has to and say, hey, is what he said true? And they could easily say, no, we never had that conversation. Just like he's saying, which I I believe him, actually. But, um, you know, and then it's over. So everybody thinks that somehow that's some kind of smoking gun. It's not at all. It's nothing. It's practically nothing. You still need the receipts. You always got to bring the receipt. The yeah. Wilson document is not a receipt. It's hearsay. It's speculation. The time for hearsay and speculation is done. Get over the hearsay and speculation, because that's what we've been doing for decades. That's gotten us nowhere. We need well, to start me, doing the tough work. Let me jump in because I, I want to potentially revisit it. Depends on we have always so much to talk about. Uh, but I want to stick with the science for a second because you mentioned SCU. So I want you to give a little bit of a background to SCU. But it may be a good time to ask this question. Christopher Bales. Christopher, uh, first off, thank you uh, for the support of the channel. He has a great question, which I think may be I'd like for you to address in this answer with SCU folks are leaving because there's no data or physical evidence. Now for those um, who feel like Christopher does here, can you tell us a little bit about SCU? If, if they don't know, I, I, I th I've known Chris for a while, so I think he knows, but for audience members who don't, but then do you agree with the fact that there's no data or physical evidence again, with your being a board member of SCU and the work that they're mm -hmm. doing? Yeah. Perfect question. Christopher Bale. I want to give a fist bump because you know, I get a big smile with that question. He's 100% right. That's what we're looking for as data and physical evidence. I wouldn't say there's no data or physical evidence there, but there is a, a limited amount. That's for sure. However, there's so much of this speculation um, and, and, you know, talk about hearsay and everything. 
uh, that that's 99% of what you'll find out there. So finding the data and the physical evidence is like a needle in the haystack, even if you're just looking for articles or something like that. The reason I'm smiling so big is because that's exactly what I, uh, one of the things that I'm working on uh, with my new job at Enigma Labs. Uh, essentially, we're a software company. Um, we are, are a tech company. We're building an app and a website uh, with all of with data. Uh, and uh, when it comes to the physical evidence side, and we'll get more into that, I'm sure. But when it comes to the physical evidence side, we're also, you know, uh, posting today, hopefully, that's our goal, uh, about, you know, more than 100 articles that I've had some freelance journalists write that are mostly familiar with this topic, but either way, great researchers who are writing unbiased, comprehensive, kind of like a UAP Wikipedia, but more comprehensive and I think uh, more unbiased than anything out there. So because I, I really feel a lot of those Wikipedia entries get taken over by the skeptics uh, and debunkers. So I'm really excited about that because you'll be able to look through those articles and see what kind of physical evidence there is out there. So, for instance, you know, Japan of France, they've got about five or six cases where there's physical evidence. Um, mostly, most of the physical evidence, though, is electromagnetic effects on on objects. So, which is, you know, limited in what you can do with that. Um, the other physical evidence that exists, you know, that people claim, and at SCU, we have a paper on this, uh, the Ubatuba um, metal. Uh, I personally feel that the analysis, well, it came down to that on the other side of the planet where that alleged, you know, material was found, they were they had developed that material they were working with the same type of aluminum so if that aluminum existed on this planet i don't think that's very strong physical evidence but at least you know an analysis on the alleged physical evidence that's out there and you could read that analysis and, and make up your own mind i think that jacques valet and and some of the the former bigelow osap guys are more excited about that ubatuba material than i am but uh given our, our analysis, but there is a little bit out there. But I agree with Christopher at one thousand percent that the focus on data and physical evidence is where it needs to be. Um, and when it comes to the data part, and this is how you can understand what Galileo, especially, is doing, is that they feel similarly, and they're like, now we need to gather data. The data that has been gathered thus far has little to no scientific value, so they are determining. How do we gather data that is more valuable scientifically? Um, in the uh, documentary Terror in the Sky, we saw UAPX doing exactly that, where they were collecting a ton of different um, devices to collect a lot of different uh, emissions from a potential UAP so that when a UAP situation happens, they can record things like frequencies, uh, lights, IR light, including, you know, a, a wider spectrum of light than a normal camera would have, uh, radiation, um, all of these type of things, cosmic, cosmic something or rather that I don't even understand that, uh, Kevin Knuth and Matthew Zydegas were, were, uh, collecting. So that's what you have to do is collect data. And that's the key. Unfortunately, I don't think they really ran across any UAP incidents, but, they're still searching because when you gather a ton of data, that means there's even more data to go through. But, you know, look, if they had caught a genuinely mysterious phenomena, then they would have had tons of data there. Um, let's say, you know, they caught a UAP, a sim 
crap, like the tick, a tic tac flew by, you know, they might have then been able to get uh, different radiation readings and then had an idea of, uh, you know, what that technology is. So I think he's right. I think there is a lack of that. And I think he's right in that people looking for that information have a hard time doing that. But I, I think our website at Enigma Labs is going to help that. I think the website for SCU helps that. Um, otherwise, there's not a lot of resources out there. You're, you know, the king when it comes to uh, FOIA documents. So this is where you go for documents. Um, and, and those are the few outlets that are out there. There's not a lot when you're looking for this kind of information. And oh. I feel like, like you probably do. I feel, unfortunately, and I love the Bigelow and OSAP team and what they've done, but they haven't provided uh, a lot of science or or data either. Um, they've got a, They've only provided us with a lot of hearsay and, and speculation as well. So I think that um, I'm hopeful they'll come out with some more data if they've got it. But uh, that just hasn't been an outlet for the scientific data that we're all looking for. Now, with SCU, I know that the papers are available, right? So on the website, what's the, what's the website for SCU? ExploreSCU.org. So you can download the papers there. In mm -hmm. a nutshell, because then I want to ask you about that Bigelow data as well, but the analyses that SCU has done thus far, from your vantage point, what do you feel those conclusions and papers have brought forward? Are we looking at solving these mysteries like Aguadilla and so on? Have they only helped support that there's something completely mysterious about this or somewhere in the middle? Um, probably somewhere in the middle. I don't think, uh, I think what they've done, especially if you look at the Aguadilla paper uh, and the Nimitz paper, is they show that there was given, and they use witness testimony, which of course is not scientific data, but it is, well, that's arguable. Some people will argue that, that it is, but um, it's limited in use, you know, scientifically. Uh, <clears throat> but um, what it does and actually, in the, in the frame, the way I'm framing it, the, the uh, anecdotal information does hold a little more value in that it, it analyzes potential characteristics. And that's really important. Um, so in other words, we're seeing these objects. We don't know what they are. Um, they are moving in ways that we can't explain. Um, the scientific community that we that have looked at uh, both of those papers have largely agreed with the findings. And so it shows things that seem to be physical moving in ways that are uh, that would generate huge amounts of energy. You can't move an object as quickly, even this mouse. If this mouse was to move at, you know, half the speed of light all of a sudden, that takes a huge amount of energy to make that mouse do that. Um, extraordinary amounts of energy. So the, uh, those sorts of, but we're not seeing outputs of those sorts of energy. So for example, a jet, uh, it creates, it's pushing, you know, fuel backwards in order to move forward. And what is the result of that? What is it emitting? Heat is a big one, photons, light. So those are things we can measure. Uh, and if we measured those, even if we didn't know, hey, there's a light in the sky, what the hell is that? If we, you know, measure that, you know, scientists can take the, the, the video and other telemetry and determine, oh, that's heat, um, cause the light, that's a rocket propulsion, to determine the type of propulsion that's going on. So these observations do help in that then 
we do have this going on where some of the theoretical physicists can say, you know, given what we're seeing, here's what could be going on. You know, here's what, what we know of science. This is possible that could explain what's going on. And, you know, so they speculate about things like the wormholes and how they might work or things like that, or, you know, multiple dimensions. Uh, you know, one theory is out there that they're popping in between dimensions. If that's so, they could be uh, emitting a, uh, I think it's a Hawkins particle, Hawkins radiation, something like that. So if we measure for Hawkins radiation, that would give us a, a clue if we were able to capture that uh, during a UAP event. So those are the sort of struggles that the scientists are looking at. I was really intrigued the other day. Um, Kurt Jaimungle had posted a message, which I, <laughs> there was no indicator like Avi allowed me to share this email, but it was an email, uh, was seemingly a private one between uh, Dr. Avi Loeb and, and Kurt. And, and I'm sure it was fine for him to share it because I haven't seen any backlash in that respect. But the revelation that came from it was that there was coordination of some kind from the quote-unquote director of the new UFO office, who I'm sure that's Sean Kirkpatrick, although he wasn't named. But regardless, had visited Avi Loeb for um, essentially writing a paper about the Ukraine UAP. Now, we don't have to get into that part, but my question is about that coordination. I was intrigued by Arrow, the, the UFO office now, reaching out to the private sector saying, hey, Dr. Loeb, can you look at this uh, either for us or just look at it? So I'm curious how much is official there. But let's just say it's official. If I may ask, has there been reach out to SCU for the same reasons? Um. I guess I would put it, um, I would say there's been reach out. Uh, we were very public about, you know, uh, Space Command or, and Space Force being at our event. Um, others also, we had former UAPTF um, and others at our, our SCU event. So definitely we're, we're talking to those people as well, but not to that degree. They're not uh, at this point. Anecdotally, I can say, I can't say you know, well, I can somewhat semi-officially say that, um, especially our Nimitz report has gone all over the place. They've all looked at that. And uh, because it's the only public report, um, which is a little bit frustrating, because if the Navy came to the conclusion that <clears throat> the Tic Tac in, in the Nimitz event was a true UAP, what did they use to determine that, to come to that conclusion? We don't know. So at the SEU, we did our own paper. Um, and actually, Kevin Knuth, a, a physicist of, uh, out of SUNY, Albany, uh, who has his own journal and lab, uh, did, wrote a peer review paper based off of it uh, with the SCU. Um, and that was in his journal. So and that's done the rounds and that's gotten people very excited. Um, so in that sense, you know, it's a private it's a, a report done in the public um, that is being used as. Uh, you know, research material for people inside the government. I think that, you know, people, and I'm familiar with what you're referring to, um, are kind of shocked that they would go to Abby Lowe, but to me it makes perfect sense in that uh, the stage that they're in. Right now they're kind of in a fact-finding stage. They're like, okay, what does this, uh, you know, landscape look like? Um, who are the groups out there investigating and doing stuff? Are there scientists? Who are those scientists? What are they doing? Are those scientists nuts or not? 
Um, I think that, you know, uh, there, there are people who are concerned with the, some of the weirdness that Bigelow's gotten involved with and that group. So they're like, okay, well, maybe do we want to even go there? Maybe we need to be a little more careful than that. Um, you know, I, there's no doubt that's something that NASA or, or other organizations would weigh when they're determining who they need to go to. And I think that's what they're trying to figure out is that landscape, what they're going to come up with and who they're going to work with, how is still in question. And we do have to remember at the hearings and what the Congress people have been asking for, they've been telling um, the DOD, we want you to look at historical information and we want you to work with civilian groups. Mm-hmm. So really they were tasked to do that and that's what they're doing. And we also have to remember that typically kind of like we all got an education through uh, OSAP and how a lot of this works is that when a project is started, you have just a few people um, inside of the government agency that are in charge of that project, like put together the scope and everything. And then those people put out the the request and um, go find contractors to work on that project. And we haven't gotten to the stage where the contractors have been hired or partnerships made to be worked on this project. So it would make sense that this would be a point where they would want to go out to experts and say, hey, what do you think of this? Because certainly people inside the SCU and in Galileo Project are not only the type of people they would want to contract to do this type of work, many of them are the people they've contracted in the past to do that kind of work. While they do that, they undoubtedly have to get into, in my opinion, because of just the sensors, not even I'm not alluding to it being military craft, but get into a classified arena. And at what point then do they essentially taint the private sector, whether it be Dr. Avi Loeb or whether it be SCU or you, uh, APX or whomever, that if they tap that, there has to be some kind of either encroachment into a classified arena or you're withholding data. There's, in my opinion, there's You can't have the best of of both worlds. And that was the biggest issue I had in the beginning with the NASA program, which they have now, in my opinion, changed their answer on it. Originally, it was going to be fully transparent. Some of the people involved in the um, uh, effort weren't even going to be cleared for anything because they were dealing with purely unclassified and publicly available data. So going back to my question, do you feel that there is risk there that they start tying up intelligent minds that just want the truth into potentially having to get them into NDAs or security clearances, which could then hinder what they tell the public? I have. um, I would guess I would say yes and no. What is. I guess I would put it this way. The information that is not publicly uh, available, that is too sensitive, um, is going to be sensitive information no matter who works on it. Um, I think that, uh, you know, we've seen in the past, I guess, you know, even through, I think, some of your documentation, you probably know better than I, where technologies have been taken over by the government and then they go secret. Um, and I think that's the kind of thing that you're probably referring to. Um, let's say they've got a case 
that they're working on. And all of a sudden the government comes in and says, hey, we want to work with you on this, but it's got to be classified. And then that case goes classified. Um, could that happen? I think certainly, but I think that regardless of whether they're talking to them now or later, it would happen either way. So um, the good thing I think about a NASA getting involved is that a NASA, scientists are very, very, um, uh, committed to transparency. They're um, hard-headed and they're stubborn. Um, and so any organization like NASA or a scientific organization that gets involved that isn't as tied to, um, you know, the classified world, I think is, is a positive thing and will always help because those people are going to be then in the inside and they're going to be able to guide them when it comes to public disclosure and those are the type of people who are going to be more pu pro-public disclosure. Um, scientists are always looking for ways, even you can ask scientists who work on classified projects, how do we move this work we're doing into the, the op what open, transparent world of science so that whatever they're working on can be further developed? You need a lot of heads in, when you're developing any technologies and not you, it's really hard to do good science in a classified setting because the number of people you're working with is severely reduced. Um, so I guess that would be the, the one looking for silver linings because I think that's what we have to do when we're kind of powerless as to input on, on you know, that kind of thing happening is that the good thing is that, you know, then we'll have more advocates for public disclosure in there um, to get more information out because they're certainly being tasked with um, you know, sharing information with the public, which was you know, Chris Mellon, when he originally wrote to the Congress saying, we need to do this, that I realized this stuff is probably going to have to stay classified. Maybe even, you know, he said that because he, he wrote that around the time that you got that message from Go that this will all be classified. But luckily, the Congress responded that you're right, we should do this, but we do want public information. And they've been asking that the public be briefed. Yeah, the, the Mellon article... I'm putting it on the list, but we've got like a six hour interview already. So uh, meaning yeah. uh, of topics uh, that we could fill. So that aside, I think, and then we can move on to my original question. I, I think what you're saying, I get your point, but this is my concern in order for them to deal with that data. And when you encroach into sensitive systems that have captured that data, that in some instances, that scientist who may be 150% well-intentioned to be transparent with the public has to then either get into an NDA or a security clearance and, and oath to see that data and the pure uh, fact that they could capture that data in and of itself could be classified. Ergo, they can't tell you about it. And that's where I get concerned where when Dr. Loeb or again, I'm just kind of giving the list of what we've talked about, but SEU, UAPX, whomever starts getting into that arena, that they could be very well intentioned for public transparency. But at the end of the day, if they're seeing data that encroaches into that classified arena, it's not that they would be releasing the details of some sensitive sensor, but rather they would be releasing the capabilities. And in some cases, those capabilities would be classified. And again, ergo, you are locking up the best yeah. minds, scientific minds. So I don't have a right answer for it, but I'm just curious to your thoughts. 
Yeah. Are you are you concerned about that? Are, are we potentially on a path to coordination between the government and private sector on the surface? That sounds good. But when you really dissect it, that's when you start getting into a really dicey area where, and I'll use Luis Elizondo as an example, you press him on certain question and, and it's, hey, I, I can't tell you I've got my NDA. Well, that same exact scenario will transfer to whomever doctor, PhD, scientist, whomever uh, yeah. gets in, into that conversation. I, I'm concerned about it, but I don't see a lot of people yeah. talking about it. So am I nuts? Maybe I'm nuts. You're not nuts, but it it's kind of yelling at the screaming to the to the void or something because it's just the I way the world lot, works. So. Yeah, you, you do. Um, it's just <laughs> the way the world works, and there's not a whole lot to do about it. And you know, it, it's nuanced also because it comes down to every individual person. So, for example, every scientist, like an Abbey Loeb, has to determine what their goals are and uh, what their priorities are and what they how they want to do this. So, for example, if they approach Avi Loeb and say, we would like you to help us with some of the classified info, that's when Avi Loeb has to kind of sit down and say, think about the things that you're asking about right now. Do I want to potentially be limited um, or do I not? And if I am going to limit myself, um, I want to outline how, but um, will that still be too much? Will it still make it too difficult? especially if my goals are, are, you know, to be as transparent as possible. Um, but the, the other thing is, is, you know, Galileo has extremely limited resources, whereas he's also looking at, I can have access to better cameras, better telemetry, satellite data. You know, I can have all the data I need to figure something out. Whereas if I stick with Galileo, it might take me five, 10 years to gather the funds and, and equipment I need to get that kind of data. So it's, it comes down to each scientist and what they want to do and what kind of things the projects are asking for. So, for example, at Enigma Labs, you know, I think, um, you know, we're building out a database with a ton of different cases. We're collecting databases, digitizing databases um, of citing reports so they can be analyzed. We're developing machine learning that can go in there and analyze the cases for us. Uh, to give us the good cases so we don't bother with the rest. Um, that's the sort of thing I think the government's going to want as well. I think we can do both a public and a government in parallel. Um, in other words, here, we'll work your data over here, which is classified, and but then we can also work the public data over here. That's Are you hinting there's a government contract between Enigma Labs and... No, I'm not at all. But <laughs> I'm, I, what I'm saying is it's possible and we'd be open to it. I, the SCU would, would be open to it. Um, a lot of the SCU guys, uh, the board, were around when B we did this with Bigelow. Little did we know we were doing it with, well, I didn't know because I didn't sign the NDA. Um, I was the only one to refuse to. But, um, you know, and, and also, you know, there was only one of our board members, Robert Powell, who I think signed the NDA. I think the rest of us were, uh, well, I was asked to, but I refused and Everybody else were uh, state directors, so they weren't asked to do that. Um, but the point being that um, we've done it before, and uh, you know, and it was tough. The whole Bigelow thing is obviously very controversial. Um, to be honest, I was pro the relationship. I was. It did not get uh, executed in the way that I would have preferred, at least as far as transparency. 
I was definitely advocating for a little more transparency that happened, but um, it was, it was really, I think, uh, a net positive because there were a few great cases that got to be investigated in uh, a much more sophisticated manner than they would have been otherwise. One of the biggest things, like away from the debate on what was official and UFO this or paranormal that, so we won't have that debate. But but I think the story, like the the way that it's, and, and we know this part for a fact, I'm not saying story as in fictional, but uh, the way the story goes is that Bigelow had purchased the, the MUFON case file database, right? Correct me if I'm just misrepresenting that. Like that was a big yeah, purchase. That was- it wasn't purchasing the database. It was uh, access, limited even. It was access. I thought it was a oh, okay. Gotcha. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so I, I yeah, I misworded it, but it, essentially he was accessing the MUFON database. So he 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 got all that data though. Like he was able to pull it in, and as far as I know. Uh, Bass had created multiple databases, which included MUFON and all this other work. So the biggest question that that I have, and I want to throw it out to you just for, for audience sake and, and conversation sake, is that $22 million, as we know, went to OSAP. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that from the paperwork, uh, the DIA has released that official paperwork. So there's really no no question mark about that. We have it all broken down in documents in addition to Pentagon statements that have been around for years. So mm-hmm. all of that groundwork is there. So $22 million goes over there, and he has collected all this data. I want to preface the question saying, to, at least to my audience, but you as well, I know you're not a spokesperson for Bigelow. This is rather just a question on what your thoughts are. Um, but with that, $22 million uh, taxpayer dollars goes over there. We get uh, the 38 DIRD reports, uh, so those come back. But the way that it's been reported in some media outlets is that there's just this massive pile of data, including these databases and and otherwise. And it's, and it's denied at this point by the Pentagon that they did that work. So my question is why doesn't he just release it? If it really was funded by the taxpayer dollars, uh, which is the story. And again, please mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, but if it was funded by taxpayer dollars, then it's not necessarily Bigelow Aerospace's property. And if the government wants to deny it, then what stops him from just saying, you know, minus the personal identifying information? So, of course, you know, those fields I'm saying, take those away. I don't I don't want to know anybody's yeah. home address. But I mean, the data that's there, that data that we've talked about here for the last 45 minutes or so. It sounds like you and I both paid for that. <laughs> so yeah, what's I agree the hold with you. Up? What do you what do you think the holdup is? No, I agree with you a hundred percent. I I think that um, I do not agree with the uh, the opaqueness of the Bigelow Group. Um, I completely disagree with it. To be honest, I think that disagree with well, their handling. Just to make sure, I'm yeah, clear. okay, their gotcha. handling that they should be more transparent if they're truly supposedly a scientific group but of course they don't exist anymore um but if they were they would want to be more transparent and they've never been transparent and i think that's a huge problem um and and it's why they've limited their value to the scientific community for that reason and i do not agree with them also um making statements that they're not ready to substantiate i i don't i 
it's a huge pet peeve of mine. I, I can't stand it. Um, because then it's just hearsay and speculation. Again, getting back to that. And it's useless. And I think that's a lot of the criticism I get is that people are confused. They're like, aren't you a, a fan of, of Bigelow and, and all those guys? I can be a fan, but I can still criticize them. I mean, um, we're all colleagues here. And, you know, what I think people don't realize is when we get together, like at SCU, and I'm sitting next to Eric Davis, and we're buddies and everything, we're also all, you know, dis discussing how to do things and not necessarily agreeing on all things. But we're colleagues who work together, and that's how it is. That's how people work at work. Um, you know, you all discuss and have ideas. The boss decides what to do. In this case, the boss is Bigelow, and that's what you do. Um, that that's how the world works. So, you know, um, yeah, that is one side that I disagree with. And it's, 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 I think why, um, a lot of that stuff is just going to get lost to history. If you're not sharing it, who's going to know how or why you were important? Um, because you said you saw, you know, big wolves and, and outside your home after you were at Skinwalker where people have seen them too. Great. It's that's just another paranormal ghost story that you can have on a TV show, but it does nothing for learning much about what's going on. So I agree with you uh, on that. Um, this is funny. Someone's saying, well, why aren't you being transparent, being involved with Thiel, which is the stupidest thing. This is the kind of thing. And it's sad. Wait, wait, wait. hold on. Let me, from? let me first off say thank you to Red Panda Koala. I'm not entirely sure what the root of this question is, so I may need Yeah, your... I'll get to that, though, because I okay. think he's, he's talking about this topic and transparency. And, okay. you know, and, and to a degree, no, it's, it's kind of a really stupid question, mostly overall. But I'll get to it anyway. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. Uh, okay. I want to stress I don't know why, so you have yeah, to help me. I will. I'll explain the whole thing. Okay. Um, so... Um, yeah, that's the hard part with the, the big low stuff. And I, and but getting back to your question, twenty two million dollars was tax dollars were spent. We should have access to all of that. You know, I know you've been looking for the reports that Lekatsky says are out there. He outlined in his book all of the reports that they put together. Where are those? You and I both got the alleged uh, group of all the files that the government can share via FOIA on OSAP, and none of those were in there. Um, where are they? Why weren't they in there? Or maybe one was in there, but it wasn't there. It was mostly the dirds. And uh, and so, yeah, why aren't they sharing that information? We did pay for that. We should have access to that. I agree with you a thousand percent on that. And I don't see any good reason for not sharing uh, that information. But getting back to Red Panda Koala, um, Enigma, we're just barely starting. We haven't even got out there. But to this very point, um, we've, uh, we've put out a, a post, blog post recently called um, Transparency for Data, Privacy for People. And the point is that we're going to share all the data we get. I mean, our, that's the whole point of our app and our website is to share data and gather data and make that data available for people to do more research and provide tools for research. Um, so that's what we're doing. And in that blog post, we've committed to sharing all the data we gather, which is exactly what we're going to do. And I think that's a huge service because we're gathering databases I think people don't even know exist. And we're going to have them in there. And all of our red, uh, all of our raw data, you're going to be able to download um, and use it all you want. Now, we're going to have 
we're going to be taking that data and putting it into, into a database that optimizes it and then doing other stuff to make that data better for research. And we will have some paid components, but uh, pure data we're, we're sharing. And not only that, you can look at everything. Why is it a stupid question? Because this is kind I think of it's a, a fair question. I don't, I, oh, it's not maybe. stupid. And let me explain why. And it's one of the pet peeves. And maybe you'll you'll agree because it's 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 the type of thing that is sloppy, brainless um, research that just causes um, this sort of fighting and ridiculous conspiracies to happen. And here's what I mean by that: How is how involved is Theo? What the heck even kind of question is this? This is how this came up. Someone identified that Peter Thiel said he was going to spend money on UAP. Then they saw there's a company called Enigma that's starting, and they're like, oh, my gosh, there we go. There's Peter Thiel. That's ridiculous. There's no connection. That, that's just a joke. Uh, it's uh, it's just I hate even addressing or answering the question because it's ridiculous. I want to jump in because I want to be fair here. There was no accusation. They just – it. And, and, and if it, this no, is a rumor, so it's a this, rumor, right? Yeah, it's a rumor. So Peter Thiel is not reason. involved. As far as I know, he's not involved at all. Uh, and where but, I want to be fair is that, 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 as you very well know, the internet world is really not accurate all the time. So I can't fault anybody for asking that if they thought that it was true. I don't want to label it a stupid question. Let's be a little fair. I okay, mean, I'll be fair. Obviously, uh, well, it's Friday morning. I'm a little charged up, to be honest. But uh, it's okay, more caffeine be... for crying out loud. Jeez, <laughs> I know I'm drinking coffee like crazy. <laughs> but no, the point. Good point. Um, it's just frustrating because it's just so stupid. Um, you know, have the, some ru- the rumors, and and I and I think the we rumors. To, yeah. And not only that, it's it's the the intention of the rumor is to defame people right out of the gate. So it's kind of funny because earlier we were talking how we have thick skin and we got to not like let it get under our skin when these things happen. Yeah. And I'm sorry, Red Panda Qual, if I was being a little too harsh there. I don't mean, I guess what I mean is the original kind of assumption was stupid um, because it is, you know, that's kind of dumb. Um it's not research. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't even do, you wouldn't even think of doing that. What you would do is start to ask questions, request documents, figure out what's going on. Even if you didn't believe me, go try to prove me wrong, but you wouldn't just go make proclamations um, like that. Um, and that's, what's really frustrating because it, it starts off these rumors and hearsay. And, you know, I, I, I don't worry about it too much anyway, because I think that people are going to be really excited when we launch because, um, and hopefully, like I said, we'll have the articles up in the next week, which is going to be kind of the first thing we're really launching. And I think people will see just the huge amount of value uh, on all of this free data that we're providing. And um, I think people are going to be very grateful for the tools and information we're providing. Of course, there'll be critics. But we're listening to critics. In fact, we're plugged in and we with the scientific community and we're taking a lot of feedback from them and making a lot of ch- uh, changes based on their feedback. Um, so, yeah, we, we're already very transparent. Um, we've got a lot of people meeting. But this is the kind of reason why we wrote that blog and that we do have this privacy for the people um, aspect. All of the, you know, is that 
I would say read the blog. It's not very, you don't have to know who the people are completely involved. And the reason why is there's a safety concern for those people. One, um, when it comes to the SEU, several of our scientists are anonymous. Some of the names that you might see on papers are, are not real names, they're pseudonames because the scientists can't, don't feel comfortable sharing their names at this point. There's still too much of a taboo and it'll affect their career. Some people will say, well, that's not being transparent, but um, what would you rather have? The expertise of this, this scientist so that we can have this analysis and have this great information and data to share with people? Um, or would you have this person's name, somebody you don't even know? Um, so I think those are kind of the balances. And the other thing is that, you know, people shouldn't have to fear losing their jobs or being harassed online for getting involved with this topic. You know, none of my colleagues want the type of online harassment that you and I, you know, take every day. Um, Nobody harasses me. I'm totally in the clear. Yeah. <laughs> or the type of harassment that, um, you know, some of our friends and colleagues who have recently left this field received in the last couple of years. Um, you know, just the same topic that we started this whole thing off with. So, uh, yeah. So those All are right. the kind of, kind of things. So, so bottom line, Red Panda Koala, not a stupid question. Alejandro's <laughs> just cranky on a Friday morning. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it was a stupid rumor, not a stupid. It was question. a stu stupid rumor, apologize. and that that I can appreciate. So I, I, yeah, so not a stupid question. Uh, but thank you for that um, explanation on on and question on both sides. And I love red pandas and koalas. I'm I'm a member of the San Diego Zoo, and those are the two places I like to visit the most. So, um, so you, I greatly appreciate them so as you just well. Want to give some hugs. To the, to yeah. the cute animals. Like I'm kissing his butt a little because uh, I was a little harsh there. Yeah. Um, Time-wise, how you doing? Uh, I know I said uh, 12 o'clock where I think. I, I forget if Ari you're in Arizona. Are we on the same? I always yeah, forget Arizona. in Arizona. An another friend of mine I see in the chat is also in Arizona. I've known him for years and years. And I always wonder, like, are we on the same time zone at this point? Or is it at that point? Is it an hour difference? I in the summer, we're together. That's how I remember it. California is all like summer. Uh, winter is when we're separate. Ah, I see. All right. I'm still confused. Um, okay. <laughs> but time-wise, are you uh, out at 12? Which is fine. Oh, yeah. Time-wise. Um, yeah, I shouldn't spend a whole lot more time. I can go past Not a problem. Bit, not too much. No, because I have like 87 things more to ask. and then I'll Okay. So maybe if we could do one. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, next week, you guys are going to be I'm, – I'm so bummed. I want to go. I'm going to try and sneak away. I just don't think I can. But you guys are doing the UFO Congress. Um, for those – I miss live events. I know in, we were talking about UFO Twitter in a yeah. live stream that I was doing. But uh, people sometimes really harp on live events. I love them. I miss them so much. COVID obviously has uh, prohibited a lot, and now we're starting to open up and – and do these things again. And sadly, schedule wise, I'm not uh, able to get out there with you guys, but I miss them for anybody who wants to get away from all that uh, UFO Twitter drama. 
the live events are so much fun because it's such an eclectic group of people. And you guys run a great event because there's tons of people. You get great speakers, a wide variety of speakers, too. I mean, it's not always everybody that you're going to sit down and go, I believe 100% of what they're saying. Uh, but rather, you get to see the presentations and decide for yourself uh, what it may mean. So uh, I'm not pitching it, uh, but I want you to. What What is the event? It's next weekend. Yeah. Uh, how can or next week, I should say, uh, and weekend because yeah. it starts, starts when uh, Wednesday. Are you guys starting it? When does it? Yeah, so it'll start Wednesday, and this time the Wednesday the twelfth, which will be dinner at night. Um, then uh, the event goes on with speakers Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Saturday night. There's an ending banquet, and then Sunday there'll be a few workshops. But that's essentially what it is. Um, yeah, in fact, I was just handed. I can give uh, your listeners a special. So. If they go get a ticket, either an online ticket, because it is a hybrid event, so you can buy an online-only ticket. If you use the code BLACKVAULTS, all large case, BLACKVAULT, you'll get 20% off of, uh, oh my gosh. Yeah, you'll get 20% off on lecture ticket or virtual pool and single session. So yeah, you'll get 20% off if you use BLACKVAULT. Um, but yeah, we've got all kinds of speakers. Uh, Sorry, I get distracted with all the questions. Lots of great questions, guys. Uh, sorry, I won't be able to get to all of them, but I'll be at the conference so you can ask them there. Or uh, next time I'm on John's show, maybe we need to come back and do some more. But um, uh, we've got uh, one of my buddies, uh, and I think someone that, you know, <laughs> not all of our buddies are mutual friends. Um, but I think this one is Brian Bender mm -hmm. uh, of Politico. He's become a, a very good friend, and we've worked on some articles together. But what's great about Brian, he's another incredible writer and researcher, where there's been times where uh, we haven't coordinated on articles on this topic, but he still does amazing work, like amazing research. In fact, I know there was an article you were in, and I was surprised because I didn't even know until the article came out. Um, but it was great. Um, I think he's probably mentioned. We're you pretty a secretive times. about that stuff, Alejandro. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> behind the scenes. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be really good. Talking about his involvement with all of this, he is trying to still get a special guest speaker. We'll see if that happens. But regardless, his story is really, really interesting, and it kind of gives you an idea of the uh, kind of how it works, how the weirdness and how the taboo still exists. There were a couple of people saying, I don't know anybody who lost a government job for getting into this stuff. I know you don't. It's you those. But ask people in government if people have lost those jobs and even worse, people who haven't been able to get jobs for being into this stuff. Um, and I can tell you this behind the scenes, the involvement of people in this topic is a factor, um, even right now in as things are coalescing. Um, and these government agencies are figuring out what to do. It's a factor. So it is, to this day, uh, an issue. Um, but let's see, who else are we going to have? Speaking of government people, we're going to have John Ramirez, who uh, was a former CIA guy who has some really interesting perspectives on stuff. Um, but he's going to be talking about, at first, you know, some of his... Uh, um, perspectives on some of the new legislation, which is great because the insider kind of perspective is always helpful. And a lot of our speakers are going to be talking about that. We're going to have Bryce Zabel, who of course is doing Need to Know with uh, Ross Coltart. Um, and he's going to be there talking a lot about this kind of stuff. 
let's see, we will have, I'm really excited about Stacy Wright, who runs Phoenix MUFON, uh, the Arizona MUFON. Uh, she's going to be speaking about the Phoenix Lights, which is, of course, is a big deal and a popular signing out here. And she hasn't done that before. Uh, so uh, she'll have some new and different stuff to share there. We're going to have... Um, um, let me look up the list of some of the others. I've got them up. Memory. That's what I was looking. Uh, you've got okay. Ben Hansen, Micah Hanks, James yeah. Fox. Yeah, you've got yeah. all sorts of good people. So ufocongress.com if you guys are interested Exactly. And, um, yeah, I, again, oh. I know that the live events in some circles get a, a, a bad name, but they're so much fun. I, I, I really do yeah. recommend them. I miss live speaking. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be doing a, um, it's digital, but a presentation to UNLV next week. And it just reminds me how much I love being able to reach out to audiences. And look, we all know not all speakers are going to, you know, appeal to every single audience member. And, with you guys running the conferences, I'm sure you know that too, but it's a way to like see the names that we sometimes only see on Twitter or Facebook or on a yeah. live stream, you get to see them up front and it offers a different perspective. Sometimes it reinforces yeah. that I think people aren't telling the truth. Uh, but then other times you go, Oh wow. They, they, that that's a lot more in depth than what I really thought. So it's a, it's a, and it's it a is, great way. And you probably feel the same. It's a little cringy in that, um, it can be a little uncomfortable for some of us speakers who, you know, feel like some of the other topics are kind of weird and stuff. Uh, and, and again, I don't choose these speakers for this event. You can blame me more for the SCU speakers, but, uh, and if it was up to me, but you know, the difference is you don't have as many people to those type of events. Um, so this is the Congress I've always said is more populous. It's more about what people are talking about on this topic than necessarily, you know, science, strictly science or, or hard research. Um, which is a lot more boring to, to some people. Uh, but, you know, a lot of this is fun. People like John Dover, and of course, we'll be showing James Fox's film uh, mm -hmm. for the first time. Uh, in fact, his official premiere is the day after he's going to be showing it at here in Arizona for the Congress. Um, so it's a pre-premiere showing. And then David Marler, who is one of those hard uh, researchers, is yeah. going to have a special announcement at the event as well that he's really excited about. Um, but yeah, Marler's absolutely one of my favorite researchers. He's amazing. Uh, yeah, he's uh, he's a great guy, great researcher, has a heck of an archive that I've been blessed to see firsthand. So, And uh, let me ask you this. Sure. Sorry. How do you feel about, there's just so much to talk about. How do you feel about the aerial case? You know, you and I are both more conservative when it comes to this kind of stuff. Um, it's a case that I do find fascinating. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I, well, I interviewed Randall Nickerson uh, on this channel. For those who aren't aware, the video is there. And to my surprise, before I and, and I'll make it quick because I don't want to keep you too long. To my surprise, a lot of people were so surprised I did the show, and that I took that a little bit to, to heart. I'm like, why? And because, like you said, it's not necessarily something that you know, we jump all over. I was drawn to the way that Randall did the documentary. And it was about the personal journey of somebody going back. That was one of the, the school children and the journey going back. And look, I'm not here to say, yes, it was an alien craft. And I'm not here to say, I know exactly what it was. I'm not here to say anything other than it was so evident that I don't believe she was acting. 
And it was so evident that it affected her in such a way that this was a big deal to not only her, but others. And I'm drawn to stories like that. The, um, the emotion and the, the toll that that experience took, whatever it may be, is so palpable that, you know, who am I to say that that didn't happen to them? Um, am I a hardcore evidence guy? Absolutely. Do I question everything? Absolutely. But am I going to sit here uh, from my chair and and tell the, the, the girl and or the director that traveled back and re-experienced some of that and talked to the people that were there what they experienced? No, I'm not going to pretend to do that. So I'm fascinated. I recommend it to, to my audience then, and I'll do it again now. See Randall's documentary, and I'd love to meet him in person. I never have. I see he's going to be at your event. Um I just recommend people look at it. You don't you don't need to walk away thinking that an alien spaceship landed and yeah. affected these children, but rather look at the emotional toll, you know, and yeah. that's what a lot of uh, live events showed me also is that there's a different element here that you don't get on social media or Twitter or, you know, or whatever medium that a lot of us communicate in. You don't get the human element. Right. I mean, it's one thing to just type on our computer and give our experience out there. It's another to do it in a YouTube video, get a little bit more interaction. But to see somebody in person, it gives a whole new element. Again, it's not an endorsement and it doesn't mean it actually happened, but it's a totally different element that you just don't get elsewhere. So that's why I love it. And I kick myself uh, that I'm not able to travel like I used to be years ago. Uh, just with two kids and a family. Yeah, and a I know. We've been asking you every year for years now. Oh, I know Karen's been asking, "Can you get John to come?" And I know you're you're busy. You got kids, so we understand. Yeah, and, and uh, please know that it was not for a lack of interest. It was just being unable to travel and. Um, yeah. And, and trust me, it makes me upset because I, I really do like it. And, and, and for those who haven't done it, I'm going to say it again, go. Uh, it, it is a wide ranging audience. You're going to find everywhere from yeah. former military and government personnel interested in the hardcore facts that likely a majority of this audience watching right now is. And then you also get a more spiritual aspect to some of the presentations. And I, and I don't mean that in a, in a bad way, but, but rather just a, a much different approach, but one that other people will be drawn to. So it's, um, Something I recommend. Uh, absolutely. So I, I wish you guys the best of luck uh, next week. I, I wish I could be there. If I can sneak away, I will. I don't uh, think I'll be able to, but I'll be thinking of you guys. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, sir. Uh, yeah, yeah. Remember, Black Vault for that coupon. It's ufocongress.com. And a lot of people, for some reason, want to know what I feel about Lazar. I do not believe Bob Lazar. I think. Uh, it's another topic, but there's a huge amount, I think, of evidence that shows that uh, there is uh, that the story has not been consistent or there's major question marks there. But uh, and I seem to come across more information on a regular basis, even in this last week that supports that. I uh, there's a lot to talk about. So, yeah. I'm, I, you have to come back on. I appreciate you okay. doing this. For those who are watching the behind the scenes, uh, this was kind of a fun addition in the middle of one of those shows. If you're watching just the, the pure interview, just know this was on the behind the scenes show. So if you haven't seen one of those, make sure you tune in. They're a lot of fun and people um, uh, get a kick out of that, being able to ask a question while I 
uh, do these shows live. So thanks for being a good sport with that. You're the first guest that I've ever had do that in show number 12 for, for the behind the scenes. Uh, so hopefully you didn't mind just kind of logging in and being live. No, that's uh, cool. To the thanks. Thank you so much for having me. Um, of course. It was a lot of fun. And um, again, apologize for jumping all over Red Panda. I'm just so excited about what we're doing with EnigmaNet Labs. And it, it's always disappointing when um, there's already people trying to spread some negative when you don't even know what we're up to yet. Um, and, Other people, uh, not Red Panda. I don't think he was spreading the negative. Oh, true, But, what, true, but true. One, one thing, Other people, uh, not Red Panda. though, before I let you go, the, the website, for Enigma, for Enigma Labs, Labs, we have not done that. EnigmaLabs.io, and then SCU is ExploreSCU.org. But yeah, EnigmaLabs.io, that's what all the cool new tech companies are using. And then Congress, of course, one more time, UFOCongress.com. Awesome. So Alejandro, thank you so much for joining me. I really do thank appreciate you. it. You guys take care next week. Have a great time at the conference. And thank you all for listening and watching. If you can, if you're watching, you like this show, please give a thumbs up on the YouTube channel. Make sure you're subscribed. If you're listening to the audio podcast version, uh, just know that all of these are generally broadcast live or in video form at www.theblackvault.com slash live. That will get you to the YouTube channel. No matter how you're watching or listening, please make sure again, add those reviews, thumbs up, share, like all that good stuff. It really is a big help. This is John Greenwald Jr. signing off. And we'll see you next time.